0: to another edition of The Podcast Goes To, a weekly podcast where we randomly select and discuss an Oscar-nominated picture. This week, the podcast goes to Seventh Heaven. I'm
1: Matt, joined by my co-host Bob. Bob, it's it's heaven to be here with you. How, how's it going? That was a beautiful segue. Welcome to 1927. I didn't think we were going to go uh, this far back so early. It's been interesting.
0: We just keep going further and further into the past, and now we've hit the absolute wall. You cannot go
1: any further back than 1927. Well, so, unless we if, get one of the other Best Picture nominations from this same Oscar year.
0: Yeah, we could get Wings or Song of Two Humans is the other one.
1: Something like that. Which
0: is really good. So if we were to get that one, that'd be great. Unfortunately, we didn't. We got Seventh Heaven,
1: <laughs> which is our movie this week. So I have exciting news. So I have a new film coming up, and I have a little trailer, little teaser trailer to play for you guys. Ooh, that's exciting! What's what is this film? It's like a I don't know. It's a drama. It's see you'll you'll see you'll see. So uh, without further ado, here's my new film. So what do you think, Matt?
0: Oh, wow, Bob. That was it, huh?
1: So that's a segue into our film Seventh Heaven. This movie was a silent film, just like my movie trailer that you just watched. What's your movie called? It's called Shh. (laughs) That's very risque. (laughs) That's how I like it. So, Matt, you want to you want to give us a little brief overview of this <laughs> 1927 silent film. So, we're heading back to 1927 for Seventh Heaven. Janet Gaynor and Charles
0: Farrell play Diane and Chico. Chico works in the sewers, cleaning, I guess, cleaning the sewers, and but he aspires to be a street cleaner one day. It's high
1: aspirations. <laughs> That's like such a 1920s thing. It's like Damn, one day I'll get out of the sewer and I'll be cleaning the streets. <laughs> the stuff that uh, almost reached the sewer, but I got to it first.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what I thought Seventh Heaven. I did not know what Seventh Heaven was going to be about going into it. So I thought when I saw that first scene of him saying, Hey, one day I'm going to be a street cleaner. And he's looking up and he sees the street cleaner. I thought that the plot of the movie was going to be him ascending from sewer cleaner to, like, CEO of a company. He was going to take, like, seven steps up. And at the end, he's, like, in heaven because he finally, like, he's at the top. He can't go any further. But no, <laughs> it's not. He becomes a street cleaner, That's the and that's the height of his career arc. But, but what we got was even better. It was another love story. So Chico is eating some bread with his friends, and he runs into Diane, who is a homeless
1: prostitute yeah i think it's implied that she's a prostitute
0: yeah which i totally didn't pick up on and then i read something about her being a prostitute basically we're introduced to her she's getting beat on by her sister she runs away from home she ends up in a sewer or in a gutter and and they literally pick her physically out of the gutter and chico saves her and lets her stay with him for a while in his loft and they eventually fall in love And then he goes off to war and dies. But before he does, they agree that every day at 11 o'clock, they're going to pause and think of each other. Goes on this way for several years, and then he dies. Does he die, though? I guess that's up for discussion.
1: He came back at the end, though. Did we watch a different movie?
0: Are we really doing this? Are you going to go jump right into the ending, or do you want to talk about the beginning first?
1: <laughs> well, I feel like we watched a different movie, or maybe there's alternate endings. But okay, let's, <laughs> let's jump back and uh, start with the beginning of the film. So <laughs> there's these two girls, and the one sister is like <laughs> a real bitch. <laughs> She's like whipping her and asking her for absinthe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's our immediate... First impression. I thought she was gonna be the main character because I didn't recognize. I didn't recognize Janet Gaynor at first because she looked sort of like an old witch. She was kind of like hunchback and dark clothes and like grimacing. So I thought she was going to be like, okay, she goes away. And then the movie follows the sister, but completely wrong. And I guess the sister's also a prostitute, but they're not doing much prostituting. They're just mostly just being miserable.
1: Yeah, I guess it's the slow season or something. But like that that priest comes in and she's like, oh, take your religion elsewhere. He's like, no, your rich uncle's in town and he wants to take you home so you (laughs) you can live with him. She's like, oh dope i get to live with the rich uncle i've always wanted to do that and then he comes in and he like sniffs out the place and he's like are you girls clean i'm not taking home any dirty girls and then they oh does he say I thought he said naughty naughty dirty whatever basically he's like oh you're not virgins well too bad you're not coming home with me
0: (laughs) yeah dude and which at which point the sister goes and beats the other sister again because she ratted her out they were like oh were you clean and Diane's Like, no, no, we're not. It's like, what? I beat the shit out of her, too. So she ruins her chance to live with the rich uncle. He just literally just walks, just leaves again immediately. (laughs) Just so quickly. He's like,
1: oh, I have this family. I should probably take care of them because I have all this money. What? You slept with someone? Never mind.
0: (laughs) Do you think that it's, do you think that he knew they were prostitutes, though? Or do you think it was just the fact that they'd slept with someone without being married? See, it was never, I never picked up that they were prostitutes so for all i know it was definitely laid out in that scene and i just missed it
1: yeah i i didn't pick up on the the whole prostitute thing either i think it's just it doesn't matter it's just that they're they're unmarried and they've had sex with someone which she could have just lied and said no like how are they gonna know anyway
0: yeah so diane's sort of like a pushover character she's she doesn't know how to lie and she's down on her luck and gross <laughs> to the point to the point where chico says oh creatures like that are better off just dying <laughs> that's that's their first interaction
1: yeah he like he calls this woman a creature like multiple times so, OK, so
0: after so after she after she admits to the uncle that she is that she slept around, she gets beat so bad that she's beaten out of the apartment into the street, down the street and into the gutter as she's being whipped. And then Chico sort of is like, whoa, 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 You you're not going to beat this girl, saves her. The sister runs off. And then he just starts trashing her to all his buddies, doesn't help her up at all, but just starts calling her a creature, gross, deserves to die. Where it's like, why do you even bother saving her?
1: yeah he like he keeps helping her and then he's like damn it why would I do this again I shouldn't have helped her of course I don't know what tone he said it in because it's a silent film and there's just these title cards popping up
0: yeah so if there's anybody out there who has never seen a silent film basically a silent film doesn't mean that it's just complete silence in this case there is instrumentals that play along with the movie and when the characters say something that is important to the plot, it just appears as a, a very dated-looking title card on the screen. The title cards in this one were pretty amusing.
1: I'd say so. I, I actually wrote down some of my favorite <laughs> my favorite lines. So when the priest comes in <laughs> to that woman, she goes, "You've come to the wrong place to spout religion," <laughs> which is a great line and also like a pretty badass line for like a 1920s american movie it
0: kind of sounds like something that um uma thurman would say in a quentin tarantino
1: movie <laughs> i guess so then when he saves the girl in the gutter he yells at the sister he's like if i catch you at it again i'll cut your gizzard out and fry it <laughs> it was like you just call her a chicken <laughs> like a turkey
0: <laughs> so this is what i don't get is that is that's is his character supposed to be funny
1: so i think all these like little s- subtle moments like them Chasing each other in the street and like a lot of the lines that pop up are meant to be funny, but like they're just it's (laughs) so many years ago. It's just not that funny to us.
0: Yeah, it's like funny because it's dated. It's lost its humor for what it was meant to be. So
1: like she's lying in the street and they're just sitting in the street eating bread. He goes, don't lie there like a dead fish and spoil our party. (laughs) And I was like, our party? You're sitting on the street eating bread. (laughs) Which, that bread looked fucking dry as hell. I've I've
0: never been able to look at a
1: bread in a movie
0: and think... That is the driest bread I've ever seen.
1: And it's like, how is someone in the public street next to you while you're eating, like, spoiling your party? You can go anywhere on the street. (laughs) Well,
0: that's what I didn't get, was, like, if I was supposed to like Chico, or if he was just supposed to be really funny because he was so awful. Or is it, like, 1927 that was acceptable behavior for a man? Because... He ends up taking her back to the house because he once again saves her from the police who are going to arrest her for being a whore. And, and he's like, no, it's she's not a whore. She's my wife. And the only way they can keep up the facade is if they end up, if she moves in with him for a few days until the detective comes, which
1: is my funny, my favorite moment of the whole movie. What? Well, where she says, That's my sister. She's no better than I am. Take her too. (laughs) (laughs) No. She's like, the sister's getting pulled away from the cops and she points out her sister. That's my sister. She's no better than I am. Take her too.
0: (laughs) It's like the worst relationship ever. You never really learn how they end up in this situation where I'm guessing they were orphaned
1: and they... And their uncle's a dick. (laughs) A a rich dick. (laughs) He returns from
0: overseas. No, the scene... So they have to keep up the facade of them living together because if they find out that they're not living together, they'll know that Chico's lying and he'll risk losing his job as the street sweeper. (laughs) He's like, no, now I'll lose my job. And he's just a street cleaner. I guess that's a big job back then.
1: Yeah, and he doesn't do anything to earn it, but just complain about how he wants to be one. And then the priest just hands him like a piece of paper. And he's like, "Now you're a street cleaner."
0: <laughs> yeah, what authority does the priest have in this like fictional town? Because yeah, or, I mean, they're in like I guess it's aren't Paris. they in like
1: Paris? Yeah,
0: yeah, they're in Paris, but like the priest somehow has all this authority. The priest gives him whatever he wants to for so that he'll. So that Chico will forgive God because like a central theme in this is religion. And I guess Chico has tried to pray to God twice to get what he wants. And both times he didn't get it. So he's like, all right, well, that's God owes me 10 francs (laughs) because I guess like each time he went to pray, he paid five francs to the church
1: <laughs> but it's interesting in nineteen twenty how like the main character is is an atheist and he's like vocal about it
0: I found it pretty radical but I also felt like whoever wrote the script didn't really have a grasp on what atheism is really like his version of atheism was that he hated God <laughs> like he kept being like God's useless to me God didn't give me what I wanted I'm an atheist it's like That's not really how atheism works, (laughs) but atheism isn't being mad at God. It's completely denying his existence. But he never really goes that far. It's almost like he just doesn't really like
1: God. And because it's French, they call the uh, God like Bon Dieu. Oh yeah, Bon Dieu is not real. but in the end
0: but in the end i think and i was waiting for this the whole time which is in the end it sort of comes around where god sort of grants them a miracle wouldn't you say that it sort of does that at the end
1: he just talks about how he's an atheist the whole movie is like oh i can't wait for the ending where he finally becomes religious again (laughs) didn't see that coming
0: so no so they go back to the apartment and this gets back to my favorite title card and they're waiting for the detective to come. So he walks in. This is like a big buildup of like, they're going to do a thorough investigation of if they're really married. He walks into the door and he goes, I'm a police detective. Is that your wife? Chico says yes. And he leaves. <laughs> that's the whole scene. It's and like that's the
1: investigation. Yeah, and it's like the fact that they had to investigate that that woman's actually his wife, so they don't take her away for being a prostitute, like it. It just seems like a like. It's like we had to send a detective to your house to like check up on you. It's like, well, you could lie to him at your house too, like you just did in the street. What's the difference? Like, and why do you care? Like, don't you have better things? Like, you're in the middle of war, <laughs> and your police are worried about like prostitutes, <laughs> like backstories and stuff like that. Our our main character. I have a few more quotes. Our main f- character Chico is a very confident guy because one of the first things he says is, me? I'm not afraid of anything. That's why I'm a remarkable fellow. <laughs> and then he actually compliments the girl in the beginning when she gets the idea, uh, Diane, that she gets the idea for, for Chico to, to take her in until the police come. And he's like, you have a great head. And then she replies, you have a great heart. <laughs> Most beautiful romantic moment i of ever.
0: And then had. later, doesn't she, isn't there some line later where he's like, Don't worry your female head about big thoughts like that.
1: You leave that to me. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> just a total normal 1920s thing okay so when he takes her back to the apartment every time they go up the stairs of this apartment there's like this intense tracking like crane shot up the stairs with them as they go up the stairs <laughs> this thing had some production value i don't have that crap in my movies that
0: was awesome that's like the 1920s equivalent of special effects because they go up like seventh seven flights of stairs because isn't the apartment the seventh heaven because
1: they're on the seventh floor i didn't notice that until now but that's a Good point. (laughs) I didn't. I didn't count how many floors they're up. (laughs) So that. So apparently, that that shots like that. Oh,
0: a lot of the technique to German expressional expressionism, which was becoming really popular in that time. And they were shooting a song for two humans on the same lot. And the, that was shot by Murnau, who's this, this German expressionist. And I guess William Fox, who's the head of Fox, sort of encouraged the intermingling of ideas. And so that's why like a lot of this film sort of has a German expression, expressionist vibe to it. I don't know if you picked up on that at all. Nope. I guess it's just me. <laughs> good thing you're on the show, Matt. The whole point of expressionism is you sort of distort the world for emotional effect. So the meaning of the emotional experience is more important than the reality. So like them climbing up all those stairs was sort of them ascending into their own version of
1: heaven, which was their little apartment that they had together. They're a huge apartment for a guy who, who like cleans the sewers. He's not good enough to be a street cleaner. And his street cleaner friend is like, oh, I wasn't gonna talk to you because you're a sewer cleaner, but now that you're a street cleaner, I can talk to you.
0: <laughs> well, again, I think that I think that's because the the room rep was more of a representation of their space together than it was a reality of what he could afford. Because that's like. That's like a New Yorker millennials dream is having an apartment like that in the city. It's like just like huge er- high ceilings, like beautiful loft looks has a balcony that looks out on the city. You can actually see the Eiffel Tower in the background. Perfect apartment. It's like the perfect apartment in yeah. Paris.
1: So maybe it just has something to say with like the wage gap nowadays. Maybe back then, like cleaning the sewers was good enough to get a nice studio apartment. And the view, the view is really awesome. The quote here is... Not bad, eh? I work in the sewer, but I live near the stars. <laughs> and she was, like, so, like, awe and romantic about it. <laughs> she
0: was so submissive. And I don't know where it came from in the end when she becomes... She becomes sort of this strong, independent woman at the end. But their whole love... I, it's like, I almost felt like I missed a title card or something. Because their whole love is built on her just serving him. Cuts his hair, makes his breakfast, gets his coat.
1: That's basically what happens while she's staying there, like, waiting for the cops. And then she's about to leave after she just cut his hair. He's like, oh, you're not in my way. You can stay a little longer. He's like, oh, you're doing all this crap for me. Just stay with me. And then he just walks home one day with a wedding dress. (laughs) And it's like, okay, (laughs) I guess since uh, you're a woman and you do all my shit and uh, I don't know anyone else, let's get married. Oh, crap! I have to go to war like in an hour,
0: <laughs> yeah, everything happens so fast. It, it he Bob's not exaggerating. He literally his street his street sweeper friend comes in and says, "We have to go to a war. We have to go to war in an hour,
1: <laughs> yeah, as he brings home the the wedding dress, and okay, so
0: this is what I think I did I miss some sort of time hop because what was the time period between? The detective comes and says, I'm a detective. Is that your wife? And when he brings home the wedding dress, because it seems like it's like a day.
1: I mean, isn't that how things happened back then? But I think more time passes. I think it seemed like it was like a day.
0: (laughs) And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Their entire relationship is just built on him being served by her. And I guess at some point she's in love with him. Because she doesn't want to accept the wedding dress because he hasn't professed his love back to her. It's so submissive. And at some point, this 1927 movie goes from being a comedy to like a love story. But to me, it was still a comedy
1: because it was so ridiculous. It was really ridiculous. So I have a couple more quotes to finish it out. And then we can wrap wrap up this section. So uh, when she's like feeding him and everything, he says, women are all alike. They try to reach a man through his stomach. And then later on in the movie, the sister comes to, like, try and beat her again. But this time she's confident because Chico taught her how to be confident because he's a remarkable fellow. And the sister goes, I've been hiding in the hall till your sewer man left. <laughs> <laughs> and it yeah, was like
0: how long has she been in the hallway
1: yeah because she came out of nowhere so i guess they had to describe why she came out of nowhere with that line <laughs> and then <laughs> later on the movie the army is trying to take eloise the taxicab from that old man and he goes name of a dog get out eloise is too old to go to war <laughs> Who was that
0: old man? There was like an old man who was sharing his bread in the beginning, and then he has a car.
1: Yeah, and they take like a joyride together in the taxi.
0: Yeah, I really didn't get that guy. What was his name? Papa Bull. Played by Albert Gran, and his character was profoundly Im- unimportant. I mean, it was just like the street... The, the fellow street cleaner was more important because he was the one who sort of like befriended him and had the wife, and I guess the two wives became friends because they like shared a rooftop and they could walk across the roof to, to each other's bedroom. It was almost like these five people were the only ones who existed in the world. It was like the priest, the street sweeper, the sewer guy, Diane... And, and rat,
1: like... <laughs> the 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 sewer rat, the dude that just hung out with him, looked up the girl's skirts. Yeah, the first image of the movie is this rat dude just climbing out of the sewer and looking up some girl's skirt. <laughs> it's like it's like, oh man, this movie's this movie's not not gonna be good. So as much as I love talking about this ridiculous Oscar nominated, <laughs> oh yeah, let's not, let's not film. forget
0: this was an Oscar nominated film we're talking about.
1: It was actually it was nominated for the most Oscars in the first. Every year of the Oscar. But they weren't called the Oscars back then. But we are running out of time. So Matt, it's time to pick our Oscar year for next week. And please, please pick something a little more recent. Okay, next week, the podcast goes to... Come on, recent. 1950. I'll take it. I'll take <laughs> it.
0: I will take
1: anything at this point.
0: All right, we will take a quick break. You can take that, Bob, a quick break. And we will come right back.
1: I'm a the Welcome back to The Podcast Goes to. This week, The Podcast Goes to 1927 Seventh Heaven. Before we jump back into the movie and the first ever Academy Awards, Matt, what are you watching these days?
0: I was on a horror kick this weekend because uh, my girlfriend's little brother was in town. He's a big um, horror movie fan. So we started binge watching. A great horror series called Final Destination. So the first one came out in 2000, and I remember because I was too young for it back then, and it was 18 years ago now. And um, I thought they were such—I thought it was such a cool concept. Basically, the concept is this guy has a premonition that a plane's gonna crash, and so he gets off the plane. A bunch of like his pals get off with him, and it really does crash. Well, it turns out they were supposed to die on that plane, and now death is hunting them. <laughs> these people just get killed off in every movie in the most ridiculous ways possible. Did someone like, die it, in like
1: a tanning bed that got like locked and they like fried like a turkey? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. But it gets even more ridiculous than that because it's like, they can't even just, they can't even go through the effort of making it like somewhat plausible. Like this, there's one scene where a guy slips into a bathtub, hits like a wire along the way. That's hang a clothing wire. And it wraps like 50 times around his neck But like the puddle of water couldn't even naturally spread across the floor; it had to like weave in this sort of like sinister shape as if it had a (laughs) mind of its own. Like
1: like the the raindrops on the window in uh, Shape of Water.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so I I watched that, but I I washed it off with um, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I I think held up pretty well. I was talking about it at work, and and people were ragging on it that it was a shitty movie, but it was gritty and cool and. It was definitely pulpish but I really enjoyed that one. Have you ever seen it?
1: No I'm not a huge horror person even though I've made a few.
0: Yeah I'm not either so it either has to be classic horror or like so stupid that I can enjoy it for how dumb it is which is exactly
1: the two different flavors I got. You know what my first ever horror movie movie theater experience was? Like I said I'm not a huge horror fan so I didn't Whenever friends wanted to go see horror movies in the theater, I I would normally wouldn't go. The first horror movie I saw in theaters was *Disturbia*, starring Shia LaBeouf. Oh no, (laughs) which was just a ripoff of *Rear Window*. And now my friend Adam, who uh, listens to the show every week, shout out to Adam is writing a new film, a short film that is pretty much a ripoff of *Disturbia*. So the rips and <laughs> ripoffs continue, and I think we just lost a listener, <laughs> Matt.
0: I think in honor of *Disturbia*, we should play the Rihanna *Disturbia*.
1: Disturbia. For next break. Like the darkness in *Disturbia*. <laughs> Bum bum beetum bum. I love I love me some Riri. Dude, Riri, that's my favorite Riri song too. <laughs> and she's an actress now too. She was in like Battleship and uh she was in Valerian. Did you see Valerian? No. It was like the the most expensive indie film ever. It came out last year. I really enjoyed it, even though the movie kind of went all over the place. Rihanna plays this like shapeshifter like exotic dancer and there's this amazing scene probably one of the most amazing scenes i've ever seen in any movie we're way off topic now but <laughs> one of the most amazing scenes i've ever seen in a movie it had no impact on the movie whatsoever but literally she just gives this like dance performance where she keeps changing into different outfits and doing these crazy like pole dancing and like jump roping and like it was the most amazing thing i've ever seen and it's it just there's no purpose to it whatsoever
0: <laughs> what is it lately with people who are not actors and actresses acting in movies like Oprah is in a wrinkle in time.
1: I'll stop you right there. Granted I didn't like Oprah in a wrinkle of time. I thought Octavia Spencer would have killed it but anyway, uh, Oprah started as an actress.
0: What was her debut? What was her debut
1: role? Was it the color purple? Oh uh, was it? Yeah she she actually she someone someone corrected me on this. I said the same thing as you but yeah she actually got her start in acting. I don't wow,
0: the more you know. It's bad enough that certain actors, when you go and watch a movie, it's like, oh, there's that actor. But, like, when it's someone who isn't an actor and you see them in a movie, it's it's them every time. It's never their character. Like, it's just Oprah in A Wrinkle in Time. It's not whoever her character is. It's, it's clearly Oprah. The same thing with Brianna. Like, you probably couldn't watch that movie and be like... That's a shape-shifting creature. No, that's Rihanna.
1: I mean, Rihanna was really good in that movie. Yeah, I'll agree with you. Oprah, I was not a fan of in A Wrinkle of Time, but I thought she was really, really good in Lee Daniels' The Butler, where she plays the butler's wife. Was she also in Selma? Yeah, she played like three different characters in Selma. Selma's a city. (laughs) I know, it's a little little inside joke. So before we go way off track and have to do another episode next week about the same film.
0: Oh God, no. It'll be 7th Hell if I have to do that.
1: The 7th Hell. I like that. I really like that. (laughs) Maybe that'll be my next short film. I'm trying to get out of horror filmmaking, but it just keeps... I I keep getting sucked back in.
0: I think the people want to know, was the cookbook a horror film?
1: I would like to know, too. (laughs) So so
0: would the judges of that film festival. (laughs) I'm
1: going to submit all my movies to that festival now because I want feedback. So...
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's the best part about submitting a film festivals is you pay $50 to hear someone shit on your dreams.
1: Normally, they don't even shit on your dreams, though. You just don't even know if they watch your movie. So I I send Vimeo links to the festivals, and I make a new Vimeo link for every single festival so I can check how many plays it gets. And there are festivals that I've been rejected from that have zero plays on them. They didn't even watch my movie.
0: They probably saw the title the cookbook and thought, this is going to be awful. (laughs)
1: Yeah, or it they saw. It probably has nothing to do with they, the cookbook. They looked up my IMDb and they're like, ah, this guy. <laughs>
0: They probably read or, They probably read the other review where someone complained <laughs> that there wasn't enough cookbook in it <laughs> So well, I'm not going to waste my time.
1: I mean, I didn't read the other comments, but one of the comments was like, the director's name is spelled wrong in the credits. <laughs> and who's the director? <laughs> Me. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, it played at multiple festivals before I submitted to that one. So it was on the big screen and I didn't even notice. Oof, that's bad. Well, there was no big screen for the first
0: ever Oscar ceremony in 1928.
1: Wow. That was one of the most incredible segues I've ever heard. <laughs> you should ride around the mall in that segway. So... Ooh, just call me Paul Blart. <laughs> I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah, the first ever Academy Awards. Did I hear this right? It was only 15 minutes long, the ceremony.
0: apparently but it was a dinner so i'm not sure maybe this the ceremony part was only 15 minutes that's
1: what i think because they talk about how they serve boiled chicken on crackers or something like that right Mm. something that didn't sound appetizing at all but what i think it was is they sat and had dinner and it was like all the hollywood elites were like mingling and then they presented awards for 15 minutes no one was too surprised because these awards were already published in the LA Times a couple weeks before then. It was a ceremony to give out the awards, but it wasn't like a surprise or anything like that.
0: Yeah, and originally the, originally the um, the Academy of Motion Pictures and Sciences, they were originally created to be an organization that could help mediate labor disputes. Like that was the idea originally and then they got together and they formed some committees and they elected 200 or they selected 230 members and one of the committees was an awards committee and it didn't take long for the labor dispute part to sort of fade out and for it to be mainly a an organization that awards these achievements and so the first ceremony was held on may 16th 1929 for the 1927 and 28 movies and this was um, almost exactly two years after the academy was formed so already they had sort of moved on from their their primary focus i don't know if you read this too, but did you happen to see the quote from the creator of the ceremonies about <laughs> I know, why he
1: created them? I know, I know exactly what you're going with. Oh, man, I love this quote. It's a great way to start, like, <laughs> the Academy Awards, this prestigious award ceremony.
0: Yeah, so the the head of MGM, uh, Louis B. Meyer, Mayer, the M of MGM, he created the ceremonies and just... Just sit back and close your eyes and imagine 90 years of tradition stemming from this idea. On the creation of the words, he said, I found that the best way to handle filmmakers was to hang medals all over them. (laughs) If I got them cups and awards, they'd kill themselves to produce what I wanted. That's why the Academy Award was created.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it's still... Still killing it today. <laughs> it's
0: still killing it today. That it kind of like makes me feel so empty inside. But when you think about it, like all, all awards are sort of just like created to be given to people. It's not like they have, they hold any in, intrinsic value to begin with. So it's like everything you know and love is a lie.
1: <laughs> what I found interesting about this Academy Awards is they, they didn't count talkies. They didn't count films with sound in them it was only silent films so they gave like special honorary awards to the talkies that year which was one of the famous ones was was it the i was gonna say the wedding singer but that's not the right movie the jazz singer you know that film
0: um i know that it was a film that used in a a new form of syncing sound and it was like the first film to sync sound uh sync um dialogue it was called vitatone and it was their it was their process Sounds of like synchronized a, a dialogue. Medication
1: for like <laughs> diabetes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what what Seventh Heaven used was called movie tone, which was a method that synchronized music and, and images by recording the audio directly onto the film. But this vitatone
1: was <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, they were that they were was, honored that was quickly phased out. Yeah. The Jazz Singer and The Circus were both films that should have been nominated but they didn't want to cuz they would have just won everything.
0: <laughs> what I found really interesting was that the actor and actress nominees They were nominated for their body of work over that time period. So like Janet Gaynor was nominated for Seventh Heaven, Street Angel and Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans combined. It wasn't like she was nominated once for each. It was like you're nominated for these
1: three films. Yeah, it's so unfair because she was nominated for those three and her competitors were only nominated for one. It's like it's like a Lifetime Achievement Award for the first ever awards, which is pretty crazy. And remember your little uh, crisis about Audrey Hepburn winning her award at 22? Guess how old Janet Gaynor was when she got those three, three awards at once.
0: <laughs> I hope she wasn't a teenager or I
1: might just jump out the window behind me. She was 22. <laughs> oh, all right.
0: Well... So just the same existential crisis, not a new one.
1: Yeah. So so this film was nominated for the most awards at this first ever Oscars. So it was five awards. Best Actress, Janet Gaynor, we just talked about, she won. Art Direction, Directing, which it also won. Best Picture, of course. That's why we're talking about it today. And Writing adap- Adaptation, Benjamin Glazer. What I found interesting about this year was that Wings was the first Best Picture win at the Oscars. You hear about it every year. They always show like a clip from it and all that jazz, all that jazz singer. And it was apparently it was like a... It came out of nowhere. It only won one other award besides Best Picture. Do you know what award that was? It's called Engineering Effects. And that was a war movie with a bunch of planes in it. So I guess they created the award. They created that award to like honor how many planes were in the movie. How many wings there were.
0: <laughs> I thought that the, I thought that there were some really cool war scenes in this movie. They show like a ton of cars, which are very clearly like model cars winding yeah. through the streets like getting bombed but they look just like toys like a little kid was filming his toys yeah it but, like, looked like a Wes Anderson that movie cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's exactly what it looked like and
1: they cut back to that same shot like a hundred times yeah it
0: needed Bon Iver, like <laughs> performing in the background
1: <laughs> I thought this movie had like a, a ton of production value like with that shot and then like a hundred million soldiers in that one shot I don't know if that was actual war footage or like I don't know how they did that that was pretty impressive to me
0: well, it wasn't it was a Fox Studios production. So, I mean, I'm sure they just
1: Yeah. And the had producer on the project was like the Fox, <laughs> like
0: Yeah, William Fox. He yeah, which isn't William his real Fox name. He was like Fox. a
1: Hungarian immigrant and he changed his name.
0: Yeah. So, did you did you know that Well, I'm sure you noticed this, too, is that there were two best picture categories. There was outstanding picture and there was unique and artistic picture. And they were both like a best picture. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Sunrise Song of Two Humans won unique and artistic picture. But then in 19 for the 1929 ceremonies, which were held in 1930, they eliminated unique and artistic picture and they retroactively we're like, yeah, outstanding picture is the
1: big is the big winner, and we're just gonna call it best picture from now on. Wow, they really snubbed, uh, <laughs> they really snubbed those guys.
0: So it was the only ceremony that was broadcast on neither t- television nor radio. Radio came was it was broadcast on the radio next the next year. And it only costs five dollars to attend, which with inflation would be around seventy one dollars today. Still a pretty cheap ticket. Although I have to wonder, do they even sell tickets to the Academy Awards?
1: I think it's just an invite thing. I don't know if they sell tickets. I feel like
0: you could randomly go, right? Because they're gonna fill they're gonna wanna fill all the seats in the back,
1: right? I but they... I feel like when you hear like press and stuff like that, they like talk about how they got invited and they you know, they went. I don't know if I can just sign up and get a ticket to the Oscars. Like I feel like I have a better shot of <laughs> seeing the Super Bowl. Of winning the Oscar. <laughs> well. So since we uh, talked a little about the first ever Oscars, I thought it'd be cool to kind of talk about our movie firsts. So I want to ask you a couple questions, Matt. Do you remember what your first movie theater experience was?
0: I think it was Jurassic Park 2, The Lost World. And I remember seeing it twice. And it was back when they didn't have stadium seating yet. And and there was someone's giant head right in my way.
1: So you couldn't see Jeff Goldblum running from dinosaurs again, (laughs) yeah, with his like black daughter and uh, yeah. (laughs) So that's interesting. So that was that was pretty late. It took you a while to get to the movies.
0: Uh, That's just my first memory. I'm sure I saw one. Okay, I'm sure I saw one before. See, I have this little
1: baby book where like my mom kept track of like all my firsts. And it says in this book that my first movie was The Lion King. It was the first movie I saw in theaters. Oh, nice. Which was, what, 95? So I was like three years old in the movie theater. Well, when was Lost World? Lost World must have been around then. 98, I want to say. No way. I might just be making it up. I do have it on VHS somewhere. Oh, yeah. Lost World had like one of the most iconic VHS. Yeah, it was like a... It was a hologram, right? It was like a... Yeah,
0: 1997. There's no way that was my first movie theater experience. Yeah, that's what I was
1: about to say. That's like pretty late. I'm sure I saw The Lion King in theaters. But I'm going to stop you. I'm going to go back. What the? What is the baby book? It's like a scrapbook. And it has all these things like, when was your first haircut? And she like fills in the date. And there's like a piece of like, my hair from the first haircut there. And then there, it's really, it's really creepy. And <laughs> there's like all this crap, like how much did you weigh? And like, here's some foreskin from your chopped off penis. And like, there's everything in there in that book.
0: <laughs> did you look, did you comb through the book to get your first?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have the book in my apartment. you
0: own the baby book
1: yeah i own the baby book i took it with me when i moved out of my parents house i'm taking this book with me god damn it. it it actually has like space which is ridiculous for like me to fill in stuff like throughout my life which i haven't kept up to date of course it's like where did you go to college and like <laughs> it's just like when did you get when did you get married it's like I'm not putting all this crap in there now when there's like pieces of like my hair and foreskin in this book
0: you could put like for your for your where would you go to college you could put like a used condom in there <laughs>
1: Yeah, cross out, like, what it says on there and just add, like, my first <laughs> my first one-night stand. <laughs> well, this baby book's getting really morbid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, They, uh, you don't have... I thought everyone had one of those.
0: No, i never heard of a baby <laughs> book.
1: Uh, what are some other firsts here? Okay. What about... Uh, do you remember your first R-rated movie? I, I grew up on this movie. I've watched it a thousand times. It's the best James Cameron movie. Do you know what it is? oh yes the abyss nope oh true lies oh it's my favorite james cameron movie although i do have his documentary where he goes to the bottom of the ocean called james cameron's deep sea adventure and i have it in 3d (laughs) blu-ray i don't have a 3d tv so i just watch the blu-ray but (laughs) you get to watch james cameron in like this little tiny submarine by himself go to the bottom of the ocean (laughs) it was pretty awesome actually pretty awesome so what was your first r-rated film
0: well, I'll read you the synopsis, and you try and guess what it was. It came out the same year as Jurassic Park 2 The Lost World, so I'm guessing that I, I'm... Yeah, so... um An intellectual billionaire and two lesser men struggle to band together and survive after getting stranded in the Alaskan wilderness with a bloodthirsty Kodiak bear.
1: What the hell is this movie? <laughs> starring
0: Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin. I have no...
1: I have no idea what you're talking about. A bear with Alec Baldwin and Anthony Hopkins.
0: And I I always thought it was Sean Connery. So this is a jarring moment for me, but it was the edge.
1: I've never even heard of that film.
0: Well, let me tell you, it had quite the impact on me. It was so disturbing and they dropped seven F-bombs. I counted them because I was so disturbed by hearing fuck, a word that I'd never uttered or heard before. That I counted them throughout the movie, and I had nightmares for a week because the bear was just ripping people apart throughout the movie. And there was an actual bear; like they they cast a bear, and his name was Bart the
1: Bear. They one up uh, the Revenant. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, they had a real bear. <laughs>
1: Isn't that fucking crazy? Fun backstory. I saw the Revenant in Dolby Atmos in like that nice theater, and you get to recline your seats. And it was a long week for me. I actually fell asleep during the bear scene. (laughs) That's how tired I was. I spent the whole time suffering through that movie. I mean, I liked it, but like it was a long ass movie for like three hours and I missed the bear scene. (laughs) Oh, no. The bear scene comes pretty early, I thought. Yeah, and they had, like, I remember the Oscars that year. They had, like, a bear, like, a dude in a bear costume, like, in the crowd. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Did like it put that. you to
0: sleep? Was it sort of like
1: a trigger, like, in Get Out, where she,
0: <laughs> like, you see the bear
1: and you immediately get hypnotized? Yep, pretty much. Uh, first Oscar-ish movie you remember watching? A Beautiful Mind, and I Cried When He Got All the Pens. Did you Do you know now that he was, like, a huge racist? <laughs> Just let me have my pens, man. <laughs> Let's stop that right there. Let's narrow it down to our, our Oscar movie year. And maybe we'll, we'll jump back into these quickly in the next section. All right. All right.
0: Sounds good. Next week, the podcast goes to 1951. <laughs> so just about as early into the 50s as we could get. So all right. Well, we'll take a quick, bre- quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, finish up talking about the movie and we'll
1: pick our, our movie for next week. Here on the podcast goes to. I don't think you've said a quick break correctly once in this podcast.
0: <laughs> no. Dude, trust me, I know. To the podcast goes to. We're here talking about 1927's Seventh Heaven. And before we get back into the movie, we have a new comment this week. This is four weeks in a row that we have new comments on, on the iTunes page. Our podcast is available on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on Stitcher. So feel free to rate and comment on each, and we will read each comment on the air. So this week, our comment comes from Nania Business.
1: these names are legendary by the way
0: (laughs) this podcast is by far the greatest podcast of all time and i listen to a lot of podcasts so you can totally believe me matt and bob are so funny and fab also i'm pretty sure matt would be the perfect fit for my sister so conclusion great podcast (laughs) I'm sure I'm sure this is definitely not my girlfriend's sister writing this. <laughs> yeah, I was
1: I, I was going to do some detective work here like that French detective in, in the film. <laughs> Are you his wife? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Investigation is over. <laughs> so thank you, none
0: your business. Your identity will forever remain anonymous.
1: We may never know who you are. Wasn't she our sponsor last week? <laughs> is this the same person? It's possible.
0: It's possible. I'm, who could say? Who can really say?
1: Maybe she's not afraid of anything. That's why she's a remarkable fellow. <laughs> Well, that is isn't that the last line of the movie? Yeah, so he says it earlier in the movie and then she says it back to him or he says it something like that, right? It comes back. It comes back. I don't know if you know like how silent films work, but like they say more than po- what pops up on screen. Is there like a script with like dialogue that they just say and then they choose which lines they pop up on screen or is the the script just the lines that pop up on screen
0: Oh that's a good point I wonder because it they do clearly have full conversations and then you basically just get the gist of the conversation in the in the card the title card that comes on screen
1: Yeah I mean I don't watch too many old silent films so I guess this sounds stupid in hindsight but I was expecting them to just mime everything. <laughs> I guess that's not not how it's done. They just perform like there is dialogue. <laughs> I don't know. I just found it interesting. I was like, is there a script that they're reading? Or are they just saying like, I had a bologna sandwich today and then it pops up on the screen. I'm a remarkable fellow. I'll never <laughs> like, forget that
0: when I was, I think it was Keith's class, um, our film professor, Keith Brown, shout out to Keith. So I'll never forget that someone in his class thought that thought that people just moved faster back in the day because silent films (laughs) you notice like everything is faster and the reason for this being that the 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 because of the frame rate the frame rate used to be like what like 18 frames per second
1: i think it was 12 in some instances and it was also a trick to like if you needed extra light if you have a less number frame rate like 12 frames a second gives you more light right
0: so that's why everyone moves faster so it's funny like watching this and just trying to read their lips but it's impossible because their lips are moving so fast because i was going to try and see if they actually say the lines that come up on screen but it doesn't look it it looks like they just sort
1: of ad lib yeah it's interesting i do have a confession though that person that keith was talking about no was no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) was not me it was not me what a twist
0: (laughs) sort of like the ending to this film so let's before we wrap things up let's interpret the ending of this movie our friend chico is killed in battle he goes off to war one hour after getting the wedding dress he's in battle and the battle rages for years and years and every day at 11 he looks up to the stars and he says hello to his diane and she's looking up from wherever she is she's
1: in some sort of factory and then he dies right he dies, he like says his last words, he gives like the little cross thing to the priest who just happens to be in battle. Yeah, the too. priest is
0: just everywhere. The priest <laughs> is in battle. Maybe he's
1: Jesus. He's just in all places at once.
0: <laughs> well, it it fits my theory that that this is just an example of American expressionalism, which is, you know, it's more about how you feel and what you are supposed to be feeling versus what's actually plausible in reality like it doesn't make sense that the priest promotes him is also his general is also like the medical guy like shows up at the apartment i mean he's He's, everywhere
1: he's like daniel radcliffe and swiss army man so chico dies
0: (laughs) they go back to the apartment which good for her all she had to do was live with this guy for like two days and he she gets this apartment for years and years and years this beautiful apartment and um they tell her, "Hey, Chico's dead. The love of your life is dead." Blah blah blah. And she doesn't believe it. And oh my! And she says, "Oh, there's no God." And there's this no. random
1: dude who, like, they introduce to the story, like, like for the last five minutes of the movie, and, he, and he's just like, all like, as she gets the news that he's dead, he's already trying to like s- scoop her up. <laughs> oh yeah, he's like, "I'll take care of you now." <laughs> so desperate that guy.
0: But lo and behold. The victory parade begins. They sign the, the peace treaty, the, the, the ceasefire. And who's coming through the crowd? It's, it's freaking Chico. He's blind, but he's still alive. He climbs all seven flights, seventh heaven, climbs up to heaven and embraces her. And he says, even though I'm blind, my eyes are still full with you or something like that. And, and he's like, of course I'm back. I'm a remarkable man. And that's how it ends.
1: and i love it too because now he's conveniently blind so he didn't see that she's like in some other dude's arms when he walks (laughs) in the door
0: i thought that's (laughs) how it was gonna end
1: yeah so yeah that confused me he like clearly died in battle which is a really bad time to die because they signed the armistice like what like three seconds after he died (laughs) it's like oh chico's dead the war's over (laughs) that's gonna suck to be
0: like the last death of the of any war it's like oh you were so close
1: and was that the sewer rat guy like defending him with the sword and everything oh yeah
0: oh no they were all like in the same unit they were all like did everything together like the sewer rat like was there eating bread with him was yeah he like carried him him to that like
1: (laughs) hole and then he just takes out a sword and like takes out the guy sewer rat was killing it yeah, Sue Rat's a beast.
0: I hope Sewerat shows up in the sequel, Eighth Heaven. <laughs> so here so I so my interpretation of the ending is that God grants her this sort of miracle of like her happy ending, but the reality is that he really did die. But like that was like a figurative metaphorical ending where she like believes that he's still alive because the clock strikes eleven, which is when they usually see each other, and then you know, so she looks up to the stars and then he appears again.
1: I guess that makes sense. I was just so happy the movie was so fair. <laughs> I was just like, "Oh, cool, an ending and I can do other things with my life."
0: Here's a big yeah. twist for you. Guess which 2016
1: Oscar nominated film was inspired by Seventh Heaven. Wait, 2016 you said? So that was that was Moonlight, La La Land? Oh my god, I'm drawing a blank here. This is like I watched every movie from that year's Oscars. Well, time's up, Bob.
0: It was La La Land. <laughs> Damien Chazelle said that the ending to Seventh Heaven was his inspiration for the ending to La La Land, where they what? they have because think about it that they in the ending of La La Land. Spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen La La Land, since this is not the movie that we're discussing this week, I will throw the blast out there. The ending to La La Land is they have the they have that fictional romantic ending where they're they get married and they dance off into Paris and they live happily ever after, but then the reality is that they're separate, right? So his so his interpretation of Seventh Heaven was that, that they had their happily ever after hypothetically in this dream world, but the reality is that he's Chico's dead.
1: Oh, okay. Well, it was much better done in La La Land. <laughs> Props to Damien Chazelle for taking something that I thought was eh and turning it into something eh. Uh,
0: his quote is the emotion was so deep and profound the laws of time and reality and physics stop existing so that was his interpretation of the ending
1: well he's gotta be a real piece of crap to like really get inspired by this movie (laughs) or maybe that's why he's so much better than me
0: (laughs) well i mean he did make la la land and i mean cabinet in the woods was pretty good but
1: (laughs) it wasn't la la land i'll tell you that much Okay, now I'm just. What were the other movies that year, though? Now, now you're. Now I'm like, my brain's hurting. Okay, <laughs> arrival, 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 yeah, yeah,
0: Fences, Hacksaw Ridge. Hidden Hidden Figures, figures, Lion, Manchester by the
1: Sea. Interesting. Hopefully one day we'll be out of this like (laughs) old ass movie run and we can revisit one of those films and talk about it. I would pay anything to watch Lion again. (laughs) Talk about a movie where you cry. Oh my God. I I, have never cried so much in my life. So a couple more fun
0: facts before we head off into next week's movie. This was the fifth movie that we've done and the fifth different country that it took place in. We've done America, Britain, Brazil, Italy, and France.
1: Wow, you really did your research. I'm impressed, dude. If only you did this back in college.
0: And it's <laughs> and it's the fourth movie out of five that deals directly with some sort of war. So we're we have quite a little theme here of like, Apparently, Americans are just obsessed with war.
1: And this was the second movie in a row where a guy takes a girl back to his apartment <laughs> and lets lets her sleep in his bed.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're on quite a streak. And the fifth movie in a row with a white lead. And the second movie in a row without a single <laughs> minority character.
1: Oh, was the street rat not like a Japanese dude or something?
0: Oh, I thought he might have been Asian, but I don't really... He doesn't have a line, so... <laughs> like he doesn't even have a title card so his
1: title card was like hey look up there and it was a bunch of women's skirts
0: (laughs) okay all right i stand stand it was like the first
1: title card of the movie
0: okay i stand corrected but we're still hey look at all these
1: girls undergarments i was like oh i'm in for a treat
0: i just wonder how many movies in a row we're gonna go without with like a white male lead actor
1: at least a few more we're in 1950 (laughs) next week but uh, what the hell? We got some time left for one more segment. We're bringing it back, Matt. You know what segment this is? Movies with blank in the title. This week we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna list some other movies with heaven in the title.
0: All right. We have Heaven Must Wait, Heaven Can Wait, nineteen seventy eight, <laughs> and Heaven Can Wait, nineteen forty three. We have One Foot in Heaven, Three Steps Above Heaven. Five Minutes in Heaven, and Seven Minutes in Heaven, 1985 and and 2008. We also have The Five People You Meet in Heaven.
1: I I don't think I know any of these. We have
0: All Dogs Go
1: to Heaven 1 and 2. I know that one. I love those movies.
0: We have Kingdom of Heaven starring Liam Neeson, who was also in Five
1: Minutes in Heaven, well, shout out to <laughs> I have a particular set of skills in heaven.
0: And finally, we have My Blue Heaven with Steve Martin. And Rick Roranis. I love that movie. That's a great one. And I'm sorry, one more to add, which is actually
1: my favorite, Days of Heaven, Terry Malick. Oh, you and your stupid Terrence Malick movies. Oh,
0: my God. That movie was in freaking credible Incredible. That,
1: did we watch that together in film yes. history class? Yes, yes. It was like the with best all the grasshoppers in the best field. Use
0: of, yes, the best use of the golden hour ever on cinema. The best cinematog- cinematography basically ever.
1: I just remember in film school, we would just shoot when it was like convenient time to shoot. And then that movie made me realize that you're supposed to like <laughs> plan out like what time of day you <laughs> show up
0: yeah they shot for like one hour a day they shot during sunset like
1: every day for like a year to get all the footage they needed i wonder there's a specific person i'm wondering now we're bringing up film history class if they're listening to the podcast you know i'm talking about
0: my arch nemesis
1: (laughs) we'll just hint at it this episode and we'll talk about him more and more each week right here on the podcast goes yeah
0: Yeah, tune in for tune in for our multi-part series on the fucking asshole who sat next to me and then behind me. He like changed his seat throughout. Like I think it's like human nature to just like pick a seat and stay in it. This motherfucking psychopath changed his seat every single day, but was always really close to me. All right, more to come in the weeks to follow. <laughs> But for now, we're in 1951, and I think it's time to pick our movie for next week.
1: Well, thank you for sticking around if you're still here. We are a little ways past the hour mark, Matt. Oh, fuck. Time to do some miracle editing. No, because I already said this on the podcast, so now you've got to keep it true to what I just <laughs> oh, said. I will
0: cut this right the fuck out. <laughs> our nominees for next week are An American in Paris... Decision Before Dawn, A Place in the Sun, A Streetcar Named Desire, and- Stella!
1: Sorry. And, ah! and <laughs> Kyo <Vadis>. Wait, what? <laughs> Did I yell Stella so loud that your brain got messed up? What was that last one?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm now saying them in reverse. News it in Alp A. So please, for the love of God, not kill Vadis. Please, we our podcast cannot afford. <laughs>
1: you imagine to play. the whole episode, and the podcast goes to. Uh, I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> a piece of toast. Next week, the podcast goes to an American in Paris. Wait, isn't this like a recent Woody Allen movie? Oh no, that's Midnight in Paris. Sorry. <laughs>
0: Right. Yeah, this stars a, a an adolescent Owen Wilson. <laughs> I think he's just a fetus. It played by Edward actually... Norton. Wow. <laughs> it's just him as a fetus. Wow. Yeah.
1: Tune in next week for us to talking about some Owen Wilson fetus. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right, Bob. I think we had a lot of fun today, and I hope we continue this next week. And I hope you all join us on another episode of The Podcast Goes To...